This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So thank you all for coming. I don't know if everyone is familiar because I think I see a lot of new faces. Do you want to just do a quick introduction again? Or just jump in? Let's just jump in. Jump in? Okay. So we were pressed for time on the last session, so we're just going to jump right in. Um, For those of you who weren't here for the first session, we are basically started off with uh, the case for why this is so important to share the gospel in an effective way with what a group we're calling the wealthy, the worldly, and the well-educated. And we talked a little bit about how this is a group that's traditionally been neglected um, in evangelistic efforts, but that this group has to be prioritized first because they have a lot of the um, resources and means to accelerate the spread of the gospel. So what we're here today is to share with you how can you do this in an effective way, and we're going to start our second the, the session. The other reason why we should reach them is because Jesus loves Doug <laughs> too. Of course. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Not just for their money and their talent. Exactly. Thank you, David. And, um, and so we're going to be talking this session about one big piece of what you need to have in your arsenal in order to be able to share the gospel effectively. So today is going to talk, we're going to talk about heart conversion right now. Before we jump in, I actually would like you to go to menti.com. We're going to do a quick, oops, it didn't flip. We're going to do a quick um, poll of the audience. I'd love to know kind of where y'all are at right now. And if you'll indulge me and go to menti.com and enter the code 115447 on your phones, we will see how the response to this question goes. So the question is, how confident are you that you are heart converted right now? On a scale from zero to 10, you'll see, there we go, people are starting to answer. Wow, eight, that's pretty good. Not even gives the distribution, huh? Yep. That's amazing technology. Yeah. So we're starting to see around a seven-ish, which is about what I expected. Um, and, and what you'll find as we keep coming with responses is you have to be really on your A game when you are going to share the gospel with this group. Um, you can't just bring pat answers or, it, honestly, it's a... Really? Can you hear me? Is this better? Okay, thank you. So what you need to do is really um, have this step first in your life because this group of people that we're trying to reach is going to ask you really hard questions. They're really smart people. And having pat answers or things you are quoting from, from Sabbath school or from a friend of yours isn't really going to work. In fact, um, if I think about some of my experiences of having people ask me you know, questions, a lot of the things people ask you, you probably won't find a standard Bible study for anyways. So this is something that you start with being heart converted, and from there you'll be in a much better position to actually share the gospel effectively. So it sounds like we landed on 6.9 and with 49 people in the room roughly. So that's actually an easy way to keep count as well. Let me grab the little... So a little better than a toy cost. No, a toy cost. Yes. What did I say? Toy cost? Coin toss. <laughs> Coin toss. I'm going to blame that on jet lag. All right. So in terms of... Um, what we're going to show you is throughout this presentation, we're going to, we're going to show you that this is a very, very much a process in terms of how do you share the gospel effectively. Um, we're calling this a virtuous cycle. So this is a very um, self-reinforcing feedback loop in which the first step is experiencing heart conversion. 
This is obviously really important because you really can't share what you don't have. Um, two, we're going to talk on uh, experiencing life transformation. So after you have that uh, authentic, genuine heart conversion experience with Christ, you are going to experience life transformation, which we'll talk about in more detail again. But this is important because it's going to testify to God's awesomeness and, and his presence in your life. Then we're going to talk about how do you actually attract spiritual interests from your neighbors and colleagues and friends that are in this group. Hopefully that will lead to Bible studies. And finally, that will hopefully win souls for Christ. So this is the virtuous cycle because when you start this process and you win those souls, it actually reinforces your heart conversion and your relationship with God as well. That's why we're calling this a cycle. So it all starts with your heart conversion. In John, we are called the Nicodemus Society, referencing the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who was himself a W3. And in that conversation, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again of the Spirit. So it starts with your heart conversion, right? And when that happens, the Spirit will make you a witness. This is what John or Jesus told his disciples as well, is that the Spirit will make you a witness. So conversely, if you're heart converted, so first of all, if you're heart converted, you will be a witness. And if you're not a witness, therefore you are not heart converted. So does that make sense? If you are heart converted, you will be a witness. If you're not a witness, you're not heart converted. So take this, yes, take this as a little bit of a self-reflective moment to think about your state of your heart conversion to, and to think about how eager you are and how um, confident you are with, with sharing the gospel. In other words, your witness is actually a barometer of your salvation. And for me, I actually grew up in the church, right? Since infancy, I, was, I grew up in the church, but I would argue that I never tried to actually be a witness until I was in my mid-20s when I was actually heart converted. Just to add to that, I never, uh, so you had like probably 15 years on me because I, until my heart conversion eight years ago, I never was a witness at all of anything. Well, I was a witness, but not for Jesus. (laughs) I don't know what I was witnessing for, but it wasn't Jesus. Yeah. So this is really also a little bit sad for me because um, when I met David... Uh, Wait, meeting me was sad? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. When I went David, I realized that God had placed me in this sphere, right, of, of interacting with, being friends with, um, being colleagues with people in this group that we're calling the wealthy, the world, and the well-educated. And I never actually had thought that God had placed me there for this explicit reason, to use my access to share the gospel in their language in a way that they would appreciate and internalize and hopefully actually have Bible studies and and lead that to uh, heart conversion with them as well. So I felt very, um, well, first I was very, uh, I felt very thankful that God had put me here, but I also felt very sad that I had spent so many years with this group and had never used that access to work for God. I mean, there are literally um, you know, hundreds or thousands of people that, you know, whether it's in school or at work, that you've been exposed to. And if you're not being a witness, like, that's a, every one of those people is a missed opportunity. You're probably the only person, if, I mean, and probably very commonly, you might be the only person that they'll encounter who... Has, who is a Christian and who lives, hopefully, your life authentically. Um, I was in business school a couple of years ago for two years, and there are about a 1,000 students um, at Harvard Business School. And 
of those thousand, I was for sure the only Adventist, and there were very, very few Christians on campus. Most people are atheists on, on that campus. So in terms of heart conversion, people generally say, we, we took a quick poll at the beginning of the last session where we asked people, how do you feel about sharing the gospel with this group? And a lot of people said what you would expect. They're nervous, they're intimidated, it's uncomfortable, um, they're just not confident about it. But here's the, here's the thing, is if you have heart conversion, that actually gives you confidence, <laughs> right? Like, people, if you think about the general reasons why you're hesitating to, to share the gospel, it's usually because you're worried about what the other person will think about you, right? It's because you're worried, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to answer their questions. I don't know if I can come across as intelligent, and I don't know if they're going to think lesser of me or if they're going to think I'm crazy. That's very I, I me-focused, right? When you are heart-converted, your, your focus shifts away from you towards the other people around you to try to figure out, okay, how can, I, how can I show them God's love in a way that they will understand and appreciate and, um, and they will actually receive the message that, of the gospel in a way that's uh, going to change their life. So the focus comes away from you and what are they going to think about me to how can I use this opportunity, this access to share the gospel in a more effective way. The, the other thing about heart conversion and confidence is... You don't ever have to be intimidated going into a conversation with someone because what you believe is true. Right? I mean, maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but we often act like, oh, I don't know if what I believe is true and I can't actually explain it and I think my uncle said something like this when I was 10. No, but once you're heart converted, you've actually studied your way through the, the scriptures, you understand how it works, yeah. that I, I, I think we both feel the same way. Like, I am not intimidated to talk to anyone Amen. about my faith. Amen. Um, and, and now the way that we go about it, you'll see, actually gives you a lot of latitude uh, to be confident. But um, don't ever forget, what we believe is actually true <laughs> yeah and that's helpful right it really helps it's, going it's helpful in when knowing what you that, believe is yeah, true what you right? what you believe is actually real <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't have confidence that's not a good sign it, it might mean you're not hard converted right so um, I would encourage you to take this time as we're going through this topic to really do a little bit of soul searching around kind of the state of your heart um, so next up is Heart conversion provokes a sense of urgency, right? So sometimes you'll hesitate, like, oh, somebody else will talk to them, or, oh, you know, I'll get in the mood tomorrow. Um, but when you have heart conversion, you actually see people quite differently, right? You, rather than, again, thinking about yourself and what they're going to think about you, you start seeing people through how hopefully God sees them as somebody who needs to get to know him, and you start wondering how you can show them God's love more effectively. Amen. And again, if you have the access, your colleagues, your friends, your neighbors, you actually know more than a Bible worker or more than your pastor what words to use to share the gospel in a way that people will appreciate and, and understand, frankly. Amen. Right? If you have a random person who, if I think about a friend of mine from work and a random stranger Bible worker who means very well but knocks on their door, A, they're probably not going to be home or they're gonna use a doorbell camera to just reject the door, the door, the door. Um, but they probably wouldn't take you seriously, right? Now, on the flip side, if you are their friend, they respect you, 
they know who you are and they find out you're a Christian. Hopefully they admire you. That's another part of our presentation, but they admire you and they find out you're a Christian. <laughs> they'll give you a few minutes probably to understand why do you believe that way. Or they might even you ask you. They might ask you and they'll, they'll want to know, like, maybe I missed something. You know, if, if, you know, David's a really smart person that I admire and he seems to be really successful at what he does. What if what he found has helped him be successful? The other thing about this, just uh, so I moved to Tokyo four months ago, and it is just I could have a whole seminar on just like what an amazing place uh, Japan is, but um, <laughs> one of the things that's really amazing about it is that it looks like as, and is in fact a modern, you know, developed society. But what I learned about myself, and, I, and I, probably not just me, is we, we associate modern developed society with Western Judeo-Christian foundations. And there, there are good reasons for that. So that's what's one thing that's so fascinating about being in Japan is it looks like we're even more modern and developed than the United States in some ways but it's less than 1% Christian, less than 1%. I mean, these are like, like and this is said with all respect, like this is a full-on pagan country, like literally pagan. Like Shinto is like thousands of gods. It's, it's pantheism, like at a national scale. And so I find myself, you know, because I don't have a car there, I take public transportation or I walk. I'm walking around the city and I'm looking at all of the Japanese and I'm thinking, who's going to reach them? And that's the sense that heart conversion gives you, this, this sense of urgency. Like, and it, it doesn't have to be Japan. It, it could be your workplace. You know, at the, at the headquarters where I used to work in, in Pennsylvania, we had roughly 10,000 people on the campus that I was at. Who's going to reach them? And what, we, what we're telling you is it's you. And if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. Yeah. Want to take me to an example? All right. So does anyone know who this, this gentleman is? All right, Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is a viral video that, that went viral like maybe a couple years ago, and I just want to use it to set the stage. Where's the sound? Is it this? Oh no, we're losing all the sound. What's that? It was working. Yeah, it was working. It worked this morning. It really did. <laughs> it's amazing how we can't get technology right. All right, well, we're going to keep going because we don't have that much time and my sound guy's not here. Well, it, there's like no sound coming out at all. So, but just watch what happens, okay? All right, just, just watch what happens here. So, John Glott Van Damme is standing one leg each on the driver mirrors of these two large trucks. And they're driving backwards. The trucks are driving backwards. Okay, so he's standing there, but then watch this part. 
And so the reason why I would have liked to have the soundtrack is he calls this the epic split. Because he's doing the splits across these two trucks while they're driving backwards. Right? It's the epic split. It's a very cool video. It's a, it's a Volvo advertisement, actually. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's pretty amazing. So why did I take you through this video? That's a good question. Uh, the epic split, why are we talking about the epic split? Because an unheart converted life is an epic split between God and the world. So if you're living an unheart converted life where you're sort of like, oh, you know, I don't want other people, like I've got my church friends and I can be myself and we have fun potluck and we go hiking in the afternoon on Sabbath. You know, you have those friends and then you have your work people and with them you're like really whatever, however you are, it depends on your personality, but you're different. Um, that's like this split. You feel like you're straddling two worlds, right? Does anyone feel this way? Anyone at all? Yeah? One or two? The rest of you are totally well-adjusted. That's awesome. <laughs> There's probably a different seminar you should be in. No, but seriously, it's th this is the epic split. And this is what we want to talk about from a heart conversion perspective, because this is a really big variable, uh, a barrier, especially for people who, if you consider yourself a W3 or if you are around a lot of W3s, we've talked about the materialism, we've talked about the pride, we've talked about the peer pressure, all those things. The epic split is a really big issue. So I want to pose a question, a series of questions to you. What are the epic splits in your life? So for example, with God, do you view God as the fount of every blessing or do you view him as a cosmic killjoy? How about the law? Do you view the law as a transcript of God's beautiful character or do you view the law as cramping your style? Or the Sabbath. Do you view the Sabbath as a day of rest and fellowship with God? Or is it nice to observe if convenient? Your time, talent, and treasure. Are they gifts from God to glorify Him? Or are they all mine and God gets the leftovers, if there are any? After Uncle Sam's been paid and after Comcast has been paid, and after whoever else has been paid. The church, a community and a platform for spiritual growth and spreading the gospel, or a social club with a potluck. A word on church, sometimes people ask me, well, like, what church should I, which church should I join? Because in, um, in the Adventist church, we have a lot of commuter churching, you guys know what I'm talking about? Especially if you live in some of the, you know, the enclaves like uh, Loma Linda or Collegedale or whatever. You, know, you can have commuter, church, uh, com commuter churching. Um, so people say, ask me sometimes, like, what church should I go to? And, and I, I personally have three criteria. This is not divinely inspired. This is just what I think. Um, one, it should be a place where... Uh, you can grow. Amen. Two, it should be a place where you can serve. Amen. 
And three, it should be a place that can be like your, H, your headquarters for evangelism. You know, so both from an equipping perspective, from a fellowship and uh, accountability perspective, uh, from a resource perspective, uh, from a um, programming perspective. And a lot of our churches don't actually fulfill that very well. Uh, how many of you would feel comfortable bringing your W3 friend or colleague to your church? Yeah, yeah. a few. Praise the Lord. But a lot of us have churches where you're kind of like, 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 here's a real example. So, like, people ask me, my, the people I've been talking to and studying with, oh, you know, like, when, how, I'd like to visit your church. How should I visit your church? And my first thought is, what time should I tell them to show up? Because <laughs> if I tell them 9.30, I'll be the only other person there with my family. But if I tell them 10, I'm basically saying it's cool to be 30 minutes late to church. We're going to talk about this more, but it's a problem. But your church needs to be a platform that enables you not only to spiritually grow, but also to spread the gospel. Not just the social club with potluck. Your media consumption. Is it set nothing wicked before my eyes and ears? Or it's not that big of a deal. Come on. I'm just watching it. Uh, there was a, 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 just another example, uh, um, a coworker of mine, we were having a conversation, a spiritual conversation. Well, it was a normal conversation, but it had spiritual content. Um, and somehow we got on the topic of media consumption. And they were talking about some show, which I won't repeat the name of it because I don't want to endorse it. But it's a very, it was like one of the top shows a couple years back. I forget what channel it was even on. Um, I said, oh, well, I've never seen that show before. What's it about? Now, I asked him what it's about on purpose. I had no idea what the show was about, but I assumed that it would not be very wholesome because it was popular. And so, um, <laughs> so he said, oh, this is awesome. I love this show. It's about this guy, and he was a school teacher, but then he decided he was going to become a drug dealer, and it talks about all the things he needs to do as a drug dealer. So I said to him, like what? <laughs> I'm not accusing him. I'm not judging him. I'm just asking, oh, what kinds of things does he do as a drug dealer? <laughs> and he started, oh, well, you know, he, like, he has to rob people, and, and yeah, he beats up some people, and yeah, there's some prostitutes involved. And, and I could just see, like, he started out by telling me how great this show is, and as he's describing it to me, I, like his face is literally changing as he recognizes what he's consuming. But media consumption can be a big epic split in your life. The health message, blessing from the creator for an abundant life or a burden bl blocking you from enjoying the finer things in life.
So these epic splits result in what's called cognitive dissonance. And there's a psychologist named Leon Festinger who actually um, codified this concept. And he writes that the, the cognitive dissonance is the excessive mental stress and discomfort experienced by an individual who holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values at the same time. This stress and discomfort may also arise within an individual who holds a belief and performs a contradictory action or reaction. So as unheart converted people, we are living in a constant state of cognitive dissonance from these epic splits in our lives. So how do you respond to cognitive dissonance? Well, the existence of dissonance being psychologically uncomfortable will motivate the person to try to reduce the dissonance and achieve consonance. When dissonance is present, in addition to trying to reduce it, the person will actively avoid situations and information which would likely increase the dissonance. All right, so this is a lot of uh, academic language which I barely understand. But let me give you an example. All right, so you want to lose weight. So you want to exercise, you want to eat well, but you also want a donut. <laughs> That's cognitive dissonance. And if you eat the donut, that intensifies your cognitive dissonance, where you feel, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Have you, any of you ever felt that way? Like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. <laughs> yes, it happens, it happens. So what do you do? if you uh, want to resolve that cognitive dissonance. You ate the donut, but you want to lose weight. What do you do? Yeah, you say, yeah, so you justify it. That's right, so you justify it or you'll add a new, it's called adding a new cognition. Um, <laughs> you add this new cognition that says, oh, I'll exercise extra so that I can work off the donut, right? So you change, or you say, oh, actually, it's not that bad. You know, these two things, they're, they're fine. They can exist together. Or you can actually change your behavior, Amen. right? And bring your mind and body and, and all of your ideas into alignment. And so that's what we want to talk about. Paul felt cognitive dissonance, and that's the good news. And we won't go through it, but in Romans chapter 7, that's that passage where he talks about how he doesn't do the things he wants to do, and he does the things he doesn't want to do. Do you remember that passage? Like, I love that passage, and I read it all the time, because when I'm feeling that way, I think, well, Paul, he felt that way, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. <laughs> so it's okay. It happens. So how do, we avoid, how do we manage our cognitive dissonance? Well, one, we could avoid God and the truth, that's what happens a lot when we're in our epic splits. We'll just avoid the information that convicts us. Or we can change the conflicting cognition, which is a complicated way of saying, let's just be balanced. I'll have some of, the, some of God and some of the world. And I don't want to be a fanatic. I just want to be balanced. I just want to be like a normal person. And the question is, is how much of the world do you want in you? How much do you want in you? Just a little bit? So you can be quote unquote balanced. Or you can add a new cognition. I will do good deeds to make up for my sin. 
Now, we don't believe in this, but some people do believe in this. But even if you don't believe in this, or even if we allegedly don't believe in this, sometimes we act like we do believe in this. Where we think, well, you know, yeah, that was bad, but if I go on this mission trip, then that's good. <laughs> and so we add a new cognition. But we cannot work our way into heaven. Amen. Or the fourth way to cope with this is just fully give yourself to God. And just say, Lord, take, you know, take, 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 uh, you know, take this, this sin I'm struggling with. And I lay it at your feet. So one, one of the things, um, one of the examples I would give on this is I grew up, so I'm, I'm Korean-American. Any Koreans here? Yeah? All right. Yay, Koreans. All right. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about Korean food, does anyone know anything about Korean food? What's Korean food f- famous for? Oh, kimchi. That's true. Barbecue. barbecue. Yeah, I was thinking about barbecue. Kimchi is, yeah, that's right. The, the, the Korean barbecue is uh, famous. And I love Korean barbecue. And I grew up, you know, because beef is a clean meat. Right? So, so I was never, I was never, <laughs> I got an amen there. But I, uh, about maybe six years ago, so after my heart conversion, by the way, it's not like everything changed overnight, but about six years ago, the Lord laid it on my heart, like maybe you should change your diet. And I, cha- I had tried in the past, too. I'd even gone full vegan for a while. And then after a year, I just toughed it out for a year because I'm stubborn. And then after a year, I went and said, forget this. But um, I finally said, I made it a matter of prayer in my morning devotions. I just said, Lord, if you want me to change my diet, you need to like, literally change my cravings. Because I've tried. You know that because you're uh, omniscient. Uh, I've tried, so you need to do it. And actually, God did change uh, my diet. And for the last six years, I've been uh, veggie. And I, I lost 10 pounds. I feel great. Um, that, uh, uh, in combination with exercise, I'm back at my college waist size. So, you know, praise the Lord. It's an abundant life. <laughs> um, but fully giving yourself to God. And this is the only one that leads to eternal life. It's the only one. All those other ones are going to keep you on the epic split. So why don't we do that? Why don't we just give ourselves to the Lord? One is we say, oh, I don't know enough. I've had people say this to me, like, oh, you know, yeah, that all sounds good, but I just, I need to study that out more. And sometimes, yeah, you do need to study things out, but sometimes when you acknowledge that you need to study something out, you should actually study it out. Instead of just saying, oh, I just need to study that out. Right? So I don't know enough. That's a common barrier. Or I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm a good person. You know, at least I'm not like that person. Right? At least I'm not an axe murderer. But if you hate your brother, it's as if you've murdered him. Or if you look at a woman lustfully, it's as if you have committed adultery with her. Or if you covet, it's as if you have stolen. So the whole good person thing doesn't quite work. But it is a barrier that people put up. Um, There's just not enough evidence. Like, you need to prove it to me. Um, And it's funny, we hold God to a higher standard than we hold anything else in life. Uh, And there's plenty of evidence. 
There isn't proof. And let's just be clear. When you're talking to your W3, you need to be very clear. Yeah, I cannot prove that God exists. And that's actually what Hebrews said too. Faith is the substance of things unseen. Right? Faith is what fills in the gap between you, you build your evidence and then there's whatever reality is and then you, there's a gap and that's where faith comes in. But there is plenty of evidence and there's more evidence, I would argue, for what we believe than what some others believe. And heart conversion gives you that confidence. Oh, and later, just later, put it off. You almost convinced me. We talked about that earlier. Or love of the world. You just love it. I mean, let's just admit it. Like, there's stuff we love. And these are all barriers in your epic split. And so what happens is cognitive dissonance brings your worst self to every part of your life. So you're a lousy Christian. You're a lousy Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And you're a lousy worldly person. You know what I mean? Because when you're in church or doing churchy type things, you're wishing you were over in the worldly part. And when you're in the worldly thing, you're feeling guilty because you know what's right. And so you're terrible at both. So you might as well choose one and be good at it. <laughs> and I would recommend that you choose to be a follower of God and be good at that. But if you're not going to choose that, maybe you should just become a worldly person and be good at that. Because being halfway, you're bringing your worst self to everything. Um, you know, before my heart conversion... I'm just going to be very honest with you people here, especially because my daughter just left, so I can tell you the story. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'll tell you the story anyway. Uh, so, you know, you, when you're in the business world, you're or actually not even the business world, college, anything. Actually, when you're just in the world, you're surrounded by alcohol. I fly a lot, and I think most people are highly functioning alcoholics. Because I'll go to the airport, airport to, the, to the lounge for like a 7.30 a.m. flight, so I'm there at 6.30. Or, and there are people having Bloody Marys with vodkas at like 6.30 in the morning. I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? Like, even if I drank alcohol, I don't think I'd want it at 6.30 in the morning. So I think a lot of people are really actually just highly functioning alcoholics. But anyway, you're surrounded by alcohol. And I remember a particular uh, team dinner when I was at uh, the consulting firm. And... Uh, of course, at a team dinner, you always order wine. I was like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm gonna, not going to have any wine uh, tonight. And, and the partner says, David, why aren't you going to have any wine? Because wine you know, is a big thing, and everyone you know, loves their wine. I said, oh, well, um, I'm allergic to sulfites. <laughs> Ac which is actually true, in fact. I am allergic to sulfites. Uh, I can't take any uh, sulfa-based antibiotics either, so I am allergic to sulfites. But, you know, that's an answer. Oh, I'm, I'm allergic to sulfites. So, oh, okay, all right, well, you can have a ginger ale. Uh, but and now after my heart conversion, I just flat out tell people, oh, you know, I don't drink alcohol. Amen. And then I stop. And then they say, 
oh, why don't you drink alcohol? And then I say, well, you know, I think there's some health benefits, and I think there are also, for me, there's some faith and spiritual implications to, um, you know, abstaining from alcohol. And then I've had some very interesting conversations emerge from that. But that's, that's, the, that's the thing is, like, when I was in my epic split about, in this case, in this example, alcohol, I was trying to straddle both lines, uh, both, uh, both sides. I said, oh, I'm allergic to sulfites, which is a really lame excuse because everyone who's allergic to sulfites still drinks. Uh, <laughs> so I was terrible at being in the world, but I was also feeling really guilty. So it just brings your worst self to every part of your life. And that's a terrible way to live. If you're living that way, all I can say is stop. Um, and the way you stop is by becoming heart converted. So what does a heart converted life look like? There are those who listen to the truth and are convinced that they have been living in opposition to Christ. So first, like you're feeling something. You're feeling like, oh, you know, this is not right. They are condemned and they repent of their transgressions. They don't want to do it. Relying on the merits of Christ and exercising true faith in him, they receive pardon for sins. So there's confession, there's repentance involved in a heart-converted life. If you're not confessing, if you're not having conviction, if you're not repenting, you know, you got to question that. As they cease to do evil and learn to do well, they grow in grace and knowledge of God. So in a heart-converted life, there is a growth process. Things change about your life. If your life hasn't changed, if you think about like, six months, 12 months, two years, three years, five years ago, 10 years. If your life is not changing, something's wrong. You're in a rut. Because if your heart converted, as they cease to do evil and learn to do well, they grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. They see that they must sacrifice in order to separate from the world. And after counting the cost, they look upon all as loss if they may but win Christ. Like, you don't look at the, like, what's so powerful about my, my, personally powerful for me about that example I shared with you about going veggie, is like, I literally, I, I don't want, I, I have no craving anymore. Actually, I knew that something had changed when I went to Los Angeles on business one time. And if you know anything about LA, you know that it's like the center of Korean food in the United States. And... This is very shortly after I had uh, gone veggie or started eating no meat. And I was, sitting, I was standing there. I was by myself. It was dinner time. I, I, had, I was on business travel, so I could eat wherever I wanted pretty much. And um, I was like, oh, I could get garbi, which is Korean barbecue. I could get Korean barbecue, and I know exactly the place where I want to go. And I, I remember standing there on the street corner thinking, I don't want it. This is really weird. I like literally like no desire. And so this is the process in a heart converted life. You see changes in your life. And we could go on about other examples like this. Um, but, but, you know, you need to be experiencing this process in your life. They have enlisted in Christ's army. The warfare is before them and they enter it bravely and cheerfully, fighting against their natural inclinations and selfish desires, bringing the will into subjection to the will of Christ. And this is how you do it. Daily they seek the Lord for grace to obey him. And they are strengthened and helped. This is true conversion. 
In humble, grateful dependence, he who has been given a new heart relies upon the help of Christ. He reveals in his life the fruit of righteousness. He once loved himself. Worldly pleasure was his delight. Now his idol is dethroned and God reigns supreme. The sins he once loved, he now hates. Firmly and resolutely, he follows in the path of holiness. This is heart conversion. And this is the experience that you need to be having. And if you're not having this experience, one, you need to question your own heart conversion. And GYC is a great place to do that because there's so many people who can help you with that. Um, But two, you have nothing to share. If you're not heart converted, you have nothing to share. You not only have nothing to share, there's nothing you want to share. And so we would ask you to reflect. Again, do you believe, knowing what you know now, knowing what you know about the importance of your witness and about this experience of growth as being indicators for heart conversion, now do you believe that you are heart converted? Why or why not? This is what you need to think. And if not, what stands in your way? Which of these epic split areas, or maybe you have your own epic split, what are those epic splits in your life? What stands in your way? And what will it take for you to choose Christ fully? These are the questions you need to be asking yourself. Questions of ultimate importance. And so, we're, with that, we're at the end of this section. I'm wondering, should we go start the next session, or should we take questions? Do you, does anyone have any questions? Any questions? Yes. True. Heart conversion is a daily experience. That's very true. Yes. Yeah, heart, heart conversion is a daily experience. And there's a real risk where you go like from these mountaintop, quote-unquote, mountaintop experiences, and GYC happens to be one of them. And you'll feel so inspired, and you'll feel, feel so on fire. And then you go back to your every, regular everyday life, and you feel like, what happened here? Like, and, and then you question yourself. It's a real issue. And that's why, uh, we're, uh, that's why having a daily devotional walk with the Lord is absolutely critical. Thank you. Yes, in the back. Yeah, so using food in the context of witnessing, actually, uh, you have a lot of examples of that, but do you want to share a little bit on that? Sure. I think Cynthia's got some really great examples of this. So this is touching a little bit more on a different topic that we're going to talk about, which is how do you attract spiritual interests? And a big piece of that is establishing relationships with people, right? Because this group, we talked a little bit about this in the last session, but if I have a coworker and you send a Bible worker over to this coworker's door, likely chance is it's not going to work very well and the person will not be interested in reading any material or even frankly talking to this said Bible worker. So how do you actually establish relationships with people and put yourself in a place where you can start having actual spiritual conversations? So um, I spoke a little bit about 
on the last session about how I went to business school a couple of years ago. And um, it's a very secular place. People are very uh, obsessed with power and prestige and getting the best job and um, earning the highest salary. And the challenge when you're trying to you know, establish relationships in that space is people will invite you to things, but they tend to be what you would probably not want to go to. So there's a lot of bar crawls. There's a lot of... Um, club nights, there's a lot of just random, like, you know, there was mo like TV show marathons of watching shows that I wasn't particularly interested in watching. So my challenge was how do you change the frame a little bit and create spaces where you can actually develop relationships with people outside of those places. And with food, I happen to love food, and I, um, one of the things I did was, uh, there's a lot of people internationally at my, at my school, and I started cooking classes but it wasn't just me teaching how to cook. I actually asked my friends from other countries to design like a three-course menu um, and essentially teach it to whoever wanted to come. And because there were a lot of vegetarians, including myself, they actually would design a vegetarian version of their country's food and teach it to the rest of us. So everybody would pitch in with ingredients, and then you all jump in with, with preparing the food, and then you all eat it together. So that's an example of how um, it's so important to establish relationships and get to know people. What, what are their biases? What do they care about? Um, what are some of their, frankly, their hangups about God and faith and previous experiences? And so when you start developing these um, opportunities to get to know people, et cetera, you'll have A, opportunities to have spiritual conversations, but B, you'll have more intelligent conversations because you'll know what, how to frame things so that you'll avoid either their hangups or know how to make the gospel uh, appeal to them in their language. I don't know if that was your question or if it was more of like when people ask you about your diet, do you use that as a... So, so I'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah, so food, one, the nice thing about food is most people eat three times a day unless you're a health reformer, you only eat twice a day. Um, but, but I eat three times a day. I'm sorry to, I, I, I don't want to offend anyone. Um, so I eat three times a day. Most of us eat three times a day. So that gives you a, an opportunity to talk about food three times a day, at least, if not more. Um, so it is a great topic of conversation. Uh, everybody in my office knows that I'm a vegetarian, uh, which is actually a little tricky in Japan, but I've had some of the best vegetarian meals of my life in Japan, uh, actually, but that's another whole seminar. Um, <laughs> but always people ask me, like, oh, why are you a vegetarian? And so, um, you know, what I say is, well, there are clearly documented health benefits. And I personally have experienced those health benefits. Uh, and also, there's a spiritual component to it for me. Then I stop. And then the people who are interested will say, oh, what do you mean by that? And I say something like, oh, did you know that the, um, you know, if, so if you read the Bible, which, as I said, less than 1% Christians in Japan, so, but in the US, I would say this similar thing. If you read the Bible, you know, the whole Garden of Eden thing? Oh, yeah, I know the Garden of Eden thing. Well, you know the Garden of Eden, which was actually uh, the vision for a perfect world. Uh, the original diet was vegetarian. In fact, it was fruits, nuts, and grains. And people are like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And so you can have a very, you can actually go from, hey, why are you vegetarian, to a pretty deep theological conversation within like three sentences. Uh, and also being vegetarian is cool these days. I mean, so like, you think it's hard to be a vegetarian now. Just think about back in the 1800s. 
everyone was eating like bacon wrapped in lard, deep fried in cream with like between pieces of pastrami. Like that was a normal diet back then. Um, vegetarian, being vegetarian is cool now. So, so everyone in my office knows I'm vegetarian. I'm sure everyone knows you're a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. In yeah. fact, that's, that's actually quite nice. The people on my team who organize the dinners for the team, they always ask me to screen all the menus. Mm. So my, my assistant has discovered many new restaurants in Tokyo because she has to find ones that offer a, a vegetarian uh, off offering. But you know, I do business lunches, I do business dinners. Um, and in, in Japan, when you do business lunch or dinner, it's usually a course menu where they, everything's preset and you just, they bring it out. And I always have something different because I have the vegetarian course and they have whatever the other courses. And so it always comes up 100% of the time. And I'm always having meetings with um, you know, senior executives and CEOs of financial institutions in, uh, in Japan. And I've had conversations about my diet with every single one of them. So, it's, uh, so that's a long way of answering your question. Yes, food can be a very effective way of having spiritual conversations with wealthy, worldly, and well-educated people. Yeah, so I, I would say that, um, oh, sorry, yes, yes, summarize the question. What if you are not one of these people, how do you get access to them and how do you reach them? And first thing I would say is, uh, yes, you can. Uh, the little maid in Naaman, I think, is the best biblical example of that, where this uh, captive slave girl from a conquered nation, which is pretty much the bottom of the totem pole, um, was somehow credible enough that the, uh, that Naaman was willing to go to the king to ask for diplomatic papers to go to uh, uh, the northern kingdom, to Israel. So that's a big deal. And so no matter what your role is, you can be a witness to these people. You have to be excellent and great at what you do. Um, you do need some kind of access. Now, in the Little Maid's situation, she was obviously not on a peer access. She was in a uh, servant access. Um, but... You know, frankly, uh, you know, you can just, you need to be creative, but you need to have some sort of access to these people. Um, otherwise, again, relationships are so important, but it, it doesn't have to be a peer relationship. It could be a service provider. It could be an employee. It could be, but, but there needs to be some level of, of a basis for a relationship. And I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have something. And, and if you have a passion for this, you can think about ways you could do that. Um, so yeah, follow-up question. Follow -up question. Um, what's an example of something you would do, like a direct example? Of? You, were not, you did not have direct access to someone of that class or if I did, So the question is, if I didn't have access to some of that class, uh, what would I do? So I would say, if I have a passion for this segment, I would figure out how to get access. I mean, I don't mean to like... That, that's, that's, that's like the real, like, it's either, well, you know, maybe I need to go to school and study something that will give me access. Or maybe I need to go into a line of work that will give me access. Or maybe I need, you know, like, you just need to think about how do I get access? Because again, this is not a hit and run. This is, we, we went through in the first session, like this is personal work, personal relationships, one-on-one. -on -one. 
I, like that's how this works. It's um, so yeah. I, I I just say like you know, is it going to school? Is it changing a career? Is it like um, changing job? Like it it could be a lot of things, but you do need to have some kind of personal access to somebody, and pray about it. Amen. Seriously, like pray for Bible studies, and God will give them to you. Thank you. Um, yes. So the question is, is how does your heart conversion relate to the fruits of the Spirit? And actually, that's the subject of the next session. <laughs> so maybe we could hold the question if that's okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. Common barriers. Do you want to talk about common barriers for people... Um, sure. We talked actually about this on the last session. Yeah. Um, we, we called it the five P's. So we gave examples through the Bible of how different W3s in the Bible struggled with specific stumbling blocks. Um, overarching everything is pride. And the way I think about that is if you have come to a place in your life where you are very successful, you know, you've worked really hard, you're pretty smart, you've accumulated a lot of like earthly possessions and wealth, it's very humbling to come to a realization that there is something you have zero ability to fix about yourself, right? So when the Holy Spirit convicts you that, wow, you are actually worthless human being who is completely selfish to your core and there is nothing you can do about it, that's very humbling. And there's a piece of pride element over all of this that people struggle with that they don't frankly wanna hear about that. And it's hard for them to accept. But other things that we talked about are um, peers and prestige. So um, King Herod, the king who, who killed John the Baptist, he actually liked John the Baptist. He enjoyed their conversations, but because of his peer pressure and he was worried about how other people would view him, he ended up killing John the Baptist. Um, king Agrippa, who talked to Paul, he also said he was very persuaded by a lot of Paul's arguments and his presentation of the gospel message, but because he wanted to procrastinate, and you know, maybe he, has, he thought he'd have more time later to think about it. He just said, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. Great. All right, so let us, um, let us wrap up at that point because uh, you have a plenary to go to. Before we close, I just want to let, point you guys to the nicodemussociety.org. Nicodemus the postcards you got also have the website there. We'd love for you to go there, check out our website, and sign up for our email uh, list. And if you're interested in having the slides, we will make that available to people who are on our email distribution list after GYC. So um, please go there. You'll be informed. We won't spam, spam you, but we'll inform you about programs and resources as, as they're developed. And with that, let's uh, close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, You've talked with us today in this session about heart conversion, and Lord, this is really where it all begins. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who is questioning their heart conversion, first of all, I would praise the Lord because that's the Holy Spirit talking. And Lord, I pray that every person here would be able to um, respond with an emphatic yes whenever they are asked, are they heart converted? That they would have this experience of of conviction and repentance and growth and, and change, uh, which is at the foundation of being a witness because you cannot share what you do not have. And so, Lord, I, 
I pray for each and every person here for their heart conversion, that you would touch their lives in a very powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Session three is going to talk about life transformation. So if you thought this was good, you ain't seen nothing yet. So please come back. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.